What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. Since we last spoke, a lot has happened. Damian Lillard finally requested a formal trade from the Blazers after years of speculation that he might do so, despite him doubling down every year that he does want to be in Portland. But it looks like he finally will be on the move. Additionally, we had pretty much all of the big free agents sign with teams. There's not many top guys out there left if any really more just minimum players remaining but i'm going to talk through all of the signings that happened um focus on the bigger ones obviously talk through some of the overpays uh, and then some teams that i liked what they did with what the they had so with that let's get right into it so i'm gonna start off with the damian lillard trade request finally he asked out i mean this is something that we have actually been speculated on for years the past two seasons, the Blazers have not even been mediocre, but they've just been outright bad. I mean, they've had top seven picks both of the last two years. They were the top three this year. Uh, and then the the years preceding those, they were nothing more than a mediocre playoff team. I know they did reach the conference finals in 2019, but that was a little bit of a weird year the way the bracket was set up because Houston and Golden State had to play in the second round, even though they were pretty clearly the top two teams in the West. So, uh Portland got a favorable draw that year and were able to get to the conference finals, but they were not even competitive. Uh, They got swept, and that was even without Kevin Durant playing for the Warriors that year, in that series at least. But it's just time for Portland to move on, in my opinion. It's, It's honestly time for both sides to move on. I mean, Dame is getting up there in age. He's into his early to mid 30s at this point. He's only got so many years left of his prime, and if he rides this out, I just don't think he's ever going to have a legitimate chance to win a title. I mean, he hasn't had a truthfully legitimate chance to win his entire career in Portland. And so if he wants to ever have that opportunity, I really think he's got to do it somewhere else because I don't think Portland is prepared to (laughs) compete at that level right now. And on the, the Blazers side of things, I mean, they're set up really nicely moving forward if they do go into sort of a rebuild. I mean, Scoot basically fell into their lap with the number three pick this year. I really like Shaden Sharp uh, personally. I think he's going to be a really good player. He showed some flashes in his rookie season. So that's a really nice backcourt to just start your rebuild with. And then if they do trade Dame, they're obviously going to get picks and they're obviously going to be bad. So they're going to get their own picks that will uh, be high in the draft moving forward so they're set up nicely it's not one of those rebuilds where you're like oh my god this is going to take five seven years because they've already got two potentially cornerstone pieces in scoot and sharp not to mention guys like uh anthony simons who could be moved but he's still young as well um whoever they get back in a trade obviously you'd hope they would get at least one uh nice young player And then they've got some other projects, but could turn into something like Nasir Little, for example. But um, I was so tired of the back and forth on this uh, discourse, (laughs) just them saying we want to build around him and then Dame flirting with other teams, basically, and Blazers continuing to go against what they're saying by acquiring young talent and drafting teenagers (laughs) back to back years. So, um I'm just glad we don't have to talk about this. Like, are they going to trade him? Are they not going to trade him? And now we just know that they are going to trade him, thankfully. And among the teams that have been mentioned are the Nets, 
the Celtics, the Spurs, the Heat. Um, I know that he wants to go to the Heat, and there's there's reasons why the other teams likely won't happen. I mean, the Nets, if they traded for him, I still don't really think they're a contender. Dame, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton. But Claxton might need to be in the deal, but even if they had all four of those guys, it still just feels like a five or six seed that'll lose first round to me. I don't really see them competing with the top teams in the East. Celtics, he's been pretty outwardly against going to Boston in the past. We've seen Chris Haynes almost laugh at the idea of him <laughs> potentially going there. Uh, and then the Spurs, they said he had high regard for the organization, but I don't see it. I, I just don't see how that's any different from the Blazers. He didn't want to play with young teenagers, and he'd be doing the exact same thing if he went to San Antonio. So we know he wants to go to the Heat, and a lot of people think their package is not as good as some of the other packages that teams could offer probably be something like Tyler Hero, salary fillers, and they can only trade two uh, first-round picks as well as a swap. Um, and so they're likely going to have to bring in a third team if they do so. Uh, the Nets and Spurs have both been mentioned. The Nets are interested in getting off of Ben Simmons, so he might be included in the deal. I don't know if he would go to Portland or Miami, but uh, if, if the Nets, for example, were to take on Tyler Hero, who we know the Blazers have reportedly not been super interested in but the Nets are interested in and they get off Ben Simmons then you'd have to think they would be willing to include at minimum two first round picks just to have the combination of getting hero and getting off the Simmons contract so there's a path for Portland for example to get four first round picks or something here two from Miami two from Brooklyn Um, I don't know if Simmons would go to Portland or Miami I doubt Miami would want him just because I don't think him and Jimmy Butler have the best relationship from their time in Philadelphia. He wanted to get out of there pretty quickly. And we know he has a good relationship with Embiid, so I think it was mostly Simmons was the issue there. But Portland could take him on also as a project. I wouldn't hate it. He's only got two years left on his deal. I mean, even if this year he sucks, then he's basically an expiring next year, which could be enticing to some teams looking to get salary cap relief. But there's just been a lot of talk saying that the Heat deal isn't very good and the Blazers should just go against what he wants and get the best deal. But look, the reality is stars end up getting where they want to be. Anthony Davis wanted to go to the Lakers. He got to the Lakers. Harden wanted to get to the Nets. He got to the Nets. Then Harden wanted to get to the Sixers and he got to the Sixers. And now he wants out again and we'll see if he gets that. But Kevin Durant wanted to get to the Suns. He got to the Suns. We talked about all last summer. People were saying Suns don't have enough. Raptors and Pelicans should make a move for KD, but that was just never going to happen. He was not going to go to those teams, and this is exactly the same scenario. He's just not going to go to these other teams. People are saying Utah should make a bid for him. He's not going to play for Utah. It's not going to happen. The only recent example of a team shipping someone where they just didn't want to go was Kawhi to Toronto, and look, that was just a... It was a little different because they could legitimately put together a really nice contender. But even with that, he left after one year. Even with them winning a championship, he still, he said, I'm going to leave if you trade me there. They said, all right, we're going to take our chances. It paid off because they won the championship. You do that 10 out of 10 times. But he still left. Even the best case scenario season, he still left. Um, I also think that that was just a little different because Kawhi and San Antonio had a pretty broken relationship at that point so I could see why they'd be like well I'm we're not going to do what this guy says who cares whereas with Portland he's been extremely loyal they have a good relationship from what I understand so I I don't see that happening and look other teams can make better deals than the Heat but they're not going to offer it 
they're not going to put out this grandiose offer for a guy who doesn't want to be on their team. So I, it's that's why the stars end up getting where they want because people around the league are scared to put all their assets in when they might just be in the same scenario right away or a year from now or something. Like if he goes to Utah and they are the 17 lose first round, like who's to say next year he's not going to be like, get me out of Utah. And it's just you don't want to be doing that year after year after year. Just ask the Nets. <laughs> it's stressful and it's not going to lead to good things for your organization. So I I just don't think he's going to go anywhere but Miami. I don't think other teams are going to offer more. I think Miami's offer is probably going to end up being the best offer, and I think they're going to do a – it might be a three-team trade, four-team trade, who knows, just because we know that Portland doesn't necessarily want Hero. But I'd be shocked if he's not in Miami. I think it's a Stars league. He wants to be on the Heat. He will be on the Heat. Um, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't end up there. I think it's going to be a complicated trade, like I said, probably four teams or something like that. But it'll get done. These things will take time. But uh, the, the Durant one took almost six uh, months to play out. We've seen the Kawhi one. I think that deal didn't happen all the way until like August, September or something like that. So there's plenty of offseason left. It's it, There's not necessarily like a rush here. But from the Miami side of things, they need to pull this off. I mean, they don't really have any other options right now. They've already lost two starters in Max Struess and Gabe Vincent from last year. Kyle Lowry is 37, and he was very bad last year during the regular season. Hero appears a bit disgruntled with the rumors. He removed all of his heat stuff from his social media, so I think he's prepared to be traded and ready to be traded. Um, and they're already a second apron team as is, so they they have no flexibility. And you, it is unacceptable to be a second apron team and an eight seed. You just... I mean, I know they made the finals, but they were an eight seed. They were really mediocre during the season. And you just can't have, like, yeah. <laughs> second apron is, like, fine to do if you're a legit contender, but it's it's just really hard to justify if you're not a contender. Um, and I just don't think there's going to be another star as big as Dame available in the next few years or so. Um, and if, if there is, I mean, are they going to have assets then to get him? I mean, this is their opportunity to strike. It's a guy who wants to be there. It's a perfect fit. I mean, they'd have a dynamic scoring guard with a elite two-way wing player and a defensive big man that has some offensive skills. I mean, it's like a, exactly what you'd want if you were trying to put together a modern day big three, um, uh, with Bam, Jimmy and Dame. So, and Dame's coming off his best season ever. Um, this would be by far the best team he's ever played on. And I think they'd be legit championship contenders, especially if they can keep Caleb Martin, for example, um, or if they get Simmons and are able to somehow revitalize him. I think if anyone could do it, it would be Miami, but we'll see. I don't know if he'll end up going there if there's a deal anyway, but I think he'll be in Miami. I think they'll be a really good team, and I think it's just beneficial for all sides. Like I said, Miami needs to make a deal because they have no other options. They're going to take a step back if they don't make this deal. From the uh, Portland side of things, I just don't think they're going to get a better offer than what Miami gives because I think other teams are going to be scared off. And from Dame's perspective, it's the best chance he's pretty much ever had to contend. So uh, it's a win-win-win for everybody, in my opinion, and so that's why I think it ultimately will happen whether it's in the next few days, few weeks, or even potentially the next few months. But it'll get done before the year starts. I, I'm pretty sure about it. So moving into free agency, 
this was an interesting free agency because most of the top guys just re-signed with the teams they were on. Um, I'm going to start with some of the guys who re-signed with their teams. Uh, first one being Draymond Green. That dropped right as free agency opened. He signed a four-year, $100 million deal with no options, player t- or team options. It's going to make, yeah, on average, $25 million a year for the next four years. I think this is a fair deal. Um, it was smart for them to bring back Draymond. They kind of had to, in my opinion. Because, uh, look, if they lost him or he walked, went somewhere else, this dynasty is over. I mean, I already, you could argue it's over already. I, I personally kind of think that it's at least on the very, very tail end. But if he leaves, it's over. I mean, you get they're not even contenders without him. And the fact that you traded uh, Jordan Poole basically showed their cards in terms of which direction they were going there. I think that it was pretty obvious they had to get rid of one of those two guys. I personally think keeping Draymond was the better move for them, and that's exactly what they did. Um, and once they traded Poole, I think it was pretty obvious that he was going to return, even though there were some whispers of him talking to teams like the Mavericks or the Kings or something. But I don't really get why he would go to those teams. He, um, He's just got a history in the chemistry with these guys, and I don't know if he goes to those teams that he has a better chance to win than with the Warriors. Maybe, at best, an equal chance. So it just made more sense. Um, but just sticking on the Warriors, uh, I haven't loved their offseason overall. I mean, they didn't have a player taller than 6'9 on their roster until they signed Dario Sharch a few days ago. And I like Sharch, for example, but he's not a surefire playoff rotation guy in every matchup. I mean, we've seen him be effective in the playoffs at times with Phoenix, but he also looked very overwhelmed and borderline unplayable at other points in the playoffs, uh, e- even during their finals round in 2021. So they're undersized. Um, I don't think they've added anything that makes them obviously more of a contender. I mean, I want to see how the Chris Paul fit is. I think he could be a huge difference maker, but I'm just not sure yet because I, I just need to see it. Um, look, they had a Corey Joseph. I don't even think he's going to play. I mean, they've got a lot of guards already. They didn't do anything to replace Dante DiVincenzo, who left for New York. Um, maybe uh, Brandon Pajemski, who they drafted, could could do that, but I don't know if he's going to play very much early on just because he is a rookie. They lost Patrick Baldwin, too, who I actually did like. He was in the Jordan Poole trade. So it's going to be very reliant on Kaminga and Moody, and we've seen that not be the best strategy for them in recent years with the young guys. But I just I think I have a lot of concerns with them that are the same concerns I had last year, and none of them have been alleviated, really. I mean, they still have no size whatsoever. They added shards, like I said. He's 6'10". He's a small five at best. And Looney is obviously plays center, but he's still undersized. And I just don't know who's going to guard guys like Jokic or Anthony Davis or if they got to the finals, Joel Embiid or something. Like, I just, they don't have anybody who can even somewhat make it tough on those guys. And that we saw that come to fruition against the Lakers. I mean, they just could not handle LA's size at all. Also, outside of maybe Wiggins, I have no idea who's going to guard scoring guards for them. I mean, who guards John Morant, Devin Booker, Kyrie Irving? Maybe your answer is Gary Payton, but then think about this. You can't play Payton, Steph, Clay, and Chris Paul together because then you're just going to be, I mean, is Clay Thompson playing power forward? Like, those guys can't all play together. You're going to be too small. 
Um, so I just don't know. I don't think Peyton's going to get consistent minutes over those three guys. Um, so I don't really know if that, I don't think he's a viable option. I think you need someone bigger who can guard those guys or a replacement for one of your top guys that can guard them. So, um, I think also just the idea that Gary Payton, Draymond and Chris Paul on the court together is not something I love from a spacing perspective. I know Chris Paul can shoot, but he's reluctant at times. And then Draymond and, and Gary Payton are just not very good shooters. So I feel like they have too many, um, key guys in the rotation that are just minuses on defense. I know Wiggins is, is pretty solid. Draymond's obviously one of the best there is. But outside of those two, I'm not sure. I, I think they're going to not be very good defensively just like they were last year, even though they got rid of Poole, who's a bad defender. Chris Paul is just not what he was on defense, and so he can be a liability at times. And they didn't add any wing guys. So unless Kaminga turns into some all-defense guy, which is possible, but – them betting on the young guys hasn't worked recently. So I also think Clay's a bit washed. <laughs> I don't think he can be relied on as a legit number two option. So overall, I view them pretty much mostly the same as last year. Um, I bet they'll probably win more games in the regular season now the pool is gone because him and Draymond, their beef is no longer a thing. Plus, I think Chris Paul has that effect on teams. But in the playoffs, I think kind of same as last year. I think they're like a second round exit type team. Um a solid team, but just not a true, true contender. But I think signing Draymond was the correct move, but I just haven't loved how they've cleaned up the edges of the roster, really. But moving over to one of the other big free agent signings, Kyrie Irving, who re-signed with the Dallas Mavericks for three years at $126 million. Uh, the first two years, he'll be making around $40 million, and then he's got a third-year player option for 45 million and I know there was a lot of talk about is Kyrie gonna maybe go elsewhere they said the Suns were gonna meet with him uh there's always been the Lakers rumors and then uh Philadelphia is rumored to be interested now that Harden wants out but look it I think all of those were public negotiation smoke screens here I think he was always going back to Dallas it made most sense for both sides Dallas, they couldn't lose him. It would have been a total disaster. They would not have even been close to contention without him, and they would have almost no assets to get them there because they gave up basically all the assets they had left to get him. And it would probably be a ticking time bomb on Luka asking out. Um, it's only three years. I know there's a lot of concerns with Kyrie, but three years with the last one being a player option, which to me is a win for Dallas. I think the obviously it's a high dollar amount, but I think he was always going to get something in that ballpark. It was more just a question of how long the contract was going to be. But I think Cuban ultimately learned his lesson <laughs> with Jalen Brunson and didn't want a repeat of that. I know he actually came out publicly and said exactly that. But I have no issue with this deal. Um, I know some people were like, three years. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. He's still a really, really good player. I think that he was behaving himself for the most part <laughs> with Dallas. They just weren't playing well, but there was really no off-the-court distraction stuff. So hopefully he's committed now and they can just move on and he <laughs> no drama. But I I like the deal. I think it's good for both sides. Kyrie probably wasn't going to get more money elsewhere. 
um, like for like meeting with the Suns. That was such a joke. I mean, they can only offer him the minimum. They can't even do a sign and trade with Aiden because it would hard cap them. So that was off the table. None of that stuff was real. I don't think it was really just public negotiation, which happens all the time. Agents putting stuff out there talking about, oh my guy's gonna meet with this team to try to drive the price up, but. It, it's fine. It worked, I guess. I mean, he got <laughs> it was a good deal. So they also signed Grant Williams to a four-year, fifty-four million-dollar contract and a sign-and-trade. Um, they lost Reggie Bullock in that deal, uh, traded to San Antonio, and then Boston got some second-round picks as well. Um, I think this is a pretty fair deal too. Um, good signing overall. He's going to be in the twelve to fourteen million-dollar range for the next four years. Uh, gives them a little bit more size and some much-needed defense on the wing. Uh, he also can guard bigger guys at times. We've seen Williams do a very good job guarding guys like Giannis in the past. He also shot the ball really well the past few years. I think he was around 40% just last year. Um, and he should have the opportunity to start for them right away. I, I think he'll probably be the starting power forward on this team, I, I would think. Um, maybe Maxi Kleber gets that spot, but... Um, Given that they just paid Williams, I think he is at least the front runner for that, um, which he did not have the luxury of getting a consistent uh, starting gig in Boston. So it's a win for him there as well. And I thought the the number was reasonable. I mean, if he had gotten twenty million, I would have probably said it was too much. But if he was getting uh, less than ten, I would have said that was a steal. So I think this number is fair and reasonable, probably about what you expected. I think it's a little bit more than the. Uh, um, mid-level exception number uh, the teams can offer. Um, but he, uh, he'll he be a good fit, I think. Uh, they've also added a few other guys. They added Seth Curry. I think that was on the taxpayer mid-level exception. They signed Dante Exum from overseas. They retained Dwight Powell, traded for Rashawn Holmes, drafted um, Prosper out of Marquette and Derek Lively out of Duke. Um, and really the only uh, key, if you even want to call him key, but key people they lost are Davis Bertans and Reggie Bullock. Um, and look, I like the Seth Curry edition. I think every team would want him. He's a, one of the best shooters in the whole league. Um, he played well in Dallas when he was here before. Uh, I also think between Powell, Lively, and Holmes, look, none of, none of them are certainties to be very good, but I think between the three of them platooning, it's a very respectable rotation at center. They've got a good mix of skill sets there. Plus, they do still have JaVale McGee. Um, and they also can do s- small ball with Kleber at the five, which we've seen be successful in the past, or maybe even uh, Grant Williams now at the five. But I like their center rotation better than I did. I mean, last year it was just like Powell, and they were playing Kleber small ball. Um, <laughs> it was not very good. But Lively gives them upside. Um, Holmes is a decent rim-running big, not the best defensively. And then Powell is fine defensively, doesn't get much on offense. But they... It's a good combo uh, between them and then JaVale McGee as well. I know McGee didn't have a very good season, but he's still got some ability to be a competent center at times in small spurts. So uh, The Dante Exum signing, I have no idea if he's even a viable NBA player at this point, but at the very worst, he's still a good defensive player. We do know that, and um, at his best, if he can make shots, I mean, he could be a really good rotation piece for them. This is, I assume, a Frank Nilakina replacement because I, um, I know they had him last year, but he didn't even play that much. But they're similar style players. Um, but there were rumors that he fixed his shot overseas, so we will see. I'm not gonna buy it until I see it, but because um, his shot was pretty broken before. But upside play there. I mean, they gave him the minimum. It's not a big deal. 
But overall, I really like Dallas's offseason, to be honest with you. I mean, I think they improved defensively. I think they gave themselves more options and more upside at the center position. I think they added some shooting. Um, and most importantly, they retained a legit offensive star next to Luka uh, by keeping Kyrie. I also think that um, by getting rid of guys like Bullock, for example, it's going to open up more minutes for a Josh Green, who I think gave them really good minutes last year. And I think the best version of this team is going to have him playing the majority of those uh, small forward minutes next to Luca and Kyrie. But we will see if that plays out that way. But I personally think that they should um, invest some more minutes into him. And so I think they have a real shot at getting back to the team that they were a few years ago. Obviously, last year they missed the play-in altogether. Um, but I think there will be a playoff lock, assuming health, um, with some Western Conference Finals upside. I don't think they're finals contenders, but I think they're good enough to be able to maybe knock off um, a, a team that's better than them, like we saw a few years ago when they beat the Suns. Um, but yeah, I, I think good offseason for them overall. And like I said, they pretty much had to re-sign uh, Kyrie. Otherwise, this was going to be a total disaster. And another big free agent who ended up returning back to his incumbent team is Chris Middleton. He got a three-year, $102 million deal that third year at $36.5 million being a player option. And I actually don't think this is that bad because it is only three years and he uh, it's an option on the last year, which I imagine he's probably going to pick that up based on his age. I mean, he's 30. He's going to be 32 when the season starts, so he'll be 34 for that season. So I don't know if he's going to get a higher salary at that point. Um, but this is a pretty big prove year for him, in my opinion. I'm not totally convinced that he isn't just washed at this point due to his injuries in recent years. I mean, he looked like a total shell of himself defensively. And he got off to a really slow start offensively as well. So I think he can still be a good player. Um, I think Milwaukee did pretty well not to give him like some five-year thing for $40 million or whatever. I mean, I think the third... $30 million range is fine for him, um, considering what some of the other guys around the league are getting these days. And they had to bring him back because they didn't have any other moves to make. If they lost him, they still don't have cap space to sign anyone else. I don't think you were going to get anything for him in a sign-in trade that's equal value of what he can bring. And so it, it was the right move to bring him back. Uh, and he did well from a, a number perspective as well. Uh, similarly, uh, is the situation with Brooke Lopez, where he also re-signed two years, $48 million, uh, $25 million the first year, $23 million the second year. And look, this one is more of an overpay, I think. Um, but they probably had to get to that number in order to retain him. I know other teams were definitely looking to poach him. Uh, Houston and San Antonio had been mentioned. And given their lack of flexibility, I'm fine with the deal just because it's short-term. It didn't impact them adding anything else. I mean, it's not like if they signed him to $10 million less, they could have signed someone else. I mean, it's it's they're in the same situation regardless. Um, but he is 35 now, which is why I'm saying it's an overpay. I mean, he's going to be 37 at the end of this deal. So who knows if he's even going to be a good player by then. Um, he's probably only going to decline from here. But similar to the Middleton situation, they kind of had to keep him. I mean, I don't know what their alternative was. They wouldn't have had any cap space to add anybody else in place of him. And they weren't going to trade for anybody better than him. 
Um, and plus, I he's just very unique, uh, a unique player between the way he can uh, spread the floor offensively, um, but then also his interior uh, defensive presence as a shot blocker, rim protector. He was top three in defensive player of the year voting last year for a reason, um, but also one of the best stretch fives we have in the league. So. Middleton and Lopez makes sense. They both resigned. I think they had to keep both of them in order to stay at least relative contenders. Um, I also think it would have been a, a big L for them if they didn't resign Jay Crowder, which they did. I don't mean that because I think he's some huge piece for them. I'm not sure if he's kind of declined and washed a bit as well. He didn't play much for them down the stretch last year, but they gave up five first round picks for him. So that would be a pretty disastrous trade to trade five first-round picks for a guy who wasn't even in your playoff rotation and then he leaves right away. That would just be a bad asset management on their perspective, so I think they had to retain him, if not just for that. Uh, (laughs) But I also think he can help them. I mean, he's a good defensive player still, even though he's a little declined. His shooting is streaky, but when he's on, he's a good floor spacer as well. So um, I also like the Malik Beasley pickup for them on the minimum. Anytime you can get a guy that has that much upside for so cheap. It's, it's always a win. Uh, worst case he's out of the rotation, but it didn't cost him anything. It was a minimum deal. It's one of those prove it deals. I know he was just making like 20 million or something. So it's not exactly like he's old either. He's still in his mid twenties. Um, but best case he can slide in is that fifth starter and hit some huge shots for this team. I think he's going to need to engage a little bit more defensively, but from an offensive perspective, he might be an upgrade over a guy like Grace Allen just as a spot up shooter out there. Um, and a scorer, but but I'm not really sure what their plan is going to be moving forward. The Bucks, that is, they have no flexibility at all to improve. I mean, they have no picks to trade from the Drew Holiday trade. They are headed towards being a second apron team, so they have no cap flexibility whatsoever. Um, all of their top four guys outside of Giannis will be 32 or older when the season starts, and they're all signed through their age, like, 35 seasons so it's not like they're going to be assets to be dealt necessarily I think Drew Holiday is really the only guy that could be traded for legitimate assets at this point but I'm not sure what they're even getting back in a holiday trade that would improve them I think he's really important to what they do and because he's older I mean they might be able to get some picks but I don't know what picks is doing for this team they're built to win right now I mean their entire starting lineup is pretty old so uh, I think they did fine with what they had, but the clock is definitely ticking on this core because they're old and Giannis could legitimately leave in the next few seasons if they don't get something done sooner. They don't win again. Um, I think that Middleton's taken a step back and I had them as like top tier contenders throughout most of last year. But given how their season ended, how guardable they looked, how vulnerable they were on defense because Middleton was getting eaten alive. Um, I think they're contenders still, but I think it's going to take like a massive Giannis type performance for them to legitimately contend because I don't think that their supporting cast is what it used to be just in terms of, uh, I think a lot of those guys are past their prime at this point. But like I said, the Bucks' main objective this offseason was just to retain their guys. They did exactly that. So um, I'm, I'm fine with how their offseason played out. Okay, so now I'm going to get into some overpays that we saw. Every year we get some overpays, but there was a lot this year. (laughs) I'm going to start off with Houston. Uh, They signed two players. 
Fred Van Vliet to a three-year, $128.5 million contract. Uh, he's going to make over $40 million every single year of the contract. This is a max contract, no player option or team option. And then they signed Dylan Brooks to a four-year, $80 million contract, which I saw on Twitter today that it was actually closer to $86 million or something like that. So <laughs> it's a lot of money for, for both of those two guys. No player option or team option on his contract either. And I just, who was offering either of these guys this much? I, I genuinely want to know. Um, over $60 million per year combined for these two. And honestly, the only good thing about either of them is that Brooks's deal is a descending deal. So he's going to make the most in the first year and it actually declines slightly um, thereafter. But just to put into perspective on these guys, I mean, these are two of the most inefficient players in the entire NBA. Fred Van Vliet last season shot 39% from the field, 34% from three, and that is on nine attempts, so very high volume. And he shot under 46% from two-point range, which the league average field goal percentage as a whole is 47.5. So he shot a full two percentage points lower from two-point range than the entire rest of the league did overall, including three-pointers. And to put in worse perspective there, that was a career high for him. That was the best he's ever shot from two-point range. Um, he also had a 54% true shooting percentage this year. The league average is 58. So he was well below that as well. And then you look at the rest of his career, you think, oh, well, he didn't have a great year. He was an all-star before that. Well. For the rest of his career, he's 40% from the field overall, 37% from three, which is is good. He's been a good three-point shooter. Last year was definitely a down year for him there, but he's 43% from two-point range for his career. I mean, that's a <laughs> – we say guys are inefficient if they shoot that overall, let alone from just two-point range. His uh, true shooting percentage overall is 54%, right on par from what he was this season. And as a playoff guy, so just in the playoffs in his career, he's had four playoff runs where he was an actual rotation player. In those four playoff runs from the field, he shot 33%, 39%, 40%, and 35%. From two-point range, he shot 46%, below 40%, 41%, and 39%. And then from three-point range, he's been mostly respectable, but he was 29 one year, 39, 39, 33. Um, but combined in his playoff career as a rotation player, 39% from the field, 41% from two-point range, and 37% from three. He's never shot above 40% from the field in the playoffs ever. He's shot below 40% from two-point range half of his playoff appearances, and his true shooting percentage has been below 50 half the time, which is just, I mean, <laughs> that's awful. Um and he's going to make more millions per year than his field goal percentage over this contract, which is pretty hilarious. Um, moving to the, the Dylan Brooks side of things, not much better. Last year, he shot 39.6% from the, the field, 32.6% from three on five attempts, and 45% from two. Again, a full two and a half percentage points lower from two than the rest of the league overall from anywhere in the court, including three-point range. He also was below 50% true shooting percentage, which is really hard to do. I'm telling you, it's 
go look at anyone's true shooting percentage. There's literally no one below 50. <laughs> from his career, 41.6% from the field, 34% from three, so a little better than this season over uh, both of those, but not much. And again, 46% from two-point range. The last two playoffs, he has shot 35% from the field and 31% from the field. He has shot 35% from two and 42 or 40% from two. And from three, he shot 35% and 24% this year. So on overall, that's 34% from the field, 36% from two, and 31% from three for a whopping 43% true shooting. I mean, he's just been as bad as it gets. It's remarkable he's had the minutes he's had. I know he's okay on defense, but collectively, Fred Van Vliet was the third lowest field goal percentage in the whole NBA this past year, and Dylan Brooks was the fifth lowest. From two-point range, Van Vliet was the fifth lowest percentage in the league, and Brooks was the fourth lowest. From three-point range, Fred Van Vliet was the 29th lowest, which doesn't sound that bad, but then you look and see that not a single player higher than him on that list shot as many threes as he did. So on his volume, he was the worst. And then Brooks was the 11th lowest, and the only two guys that were higher than him um, at his volume were LeBron, who we know had a very bad three-point shooting year, and Kelly Oubre, who is also not a good three-point shooter. From a true shooting percentage, uh, Dylan Brooks was the third lowest in the whole NBA this year. Among guys with at least 950 shots, they were the two lowest field goal percentage guys in the whole league. So... (laughs) These were both huge overpays. Um, Look, I don't hate them both entirely. Van Vliet, I like him as a player, actually. I think he's been a very solid three-point shooter. Like I said, 37% for his career, especially his size. That's impressive. And he's been a pretty good defender for his size as well. Definitely not a liability there, but he is also a very good playmaker. He had averaged seven assists last year, only two turnovers. He's a good locker room guy. He's a winning player. Good culture guy. He'll be an adult in the room. Um, I don't hate them adding him is what I'm saying. Like I, I like him as a player in the right role, and I think them signing him was good for their direction. However, his efficiencies suggest that he's probably best suited for a sixth-man role. He was at his best in that role in 2019 for the Raptors when they won the championship, and I would love to see him in that role. If he was in that role, I would say home run, signing for any team um and look i just i i know he made an all-star team but it was it was fluky in my opinion i don't think he'll make another i don't think he's an all-star level player we see players make one all-star team it doesn't necessarily mean that that's who they are it just means they were playing that way that season and i just don't think he's a max player i'm not even sure any other team would value him there either i mean he's six one. he's already 29 years old i don't see him improving he's in the age where he's kind of reached his peak and I think he is what he did what he is and I think what he is is a elite sixth man or a inefficient but still pretty good uh, starting point guard and I think that's that's what he'll be for them and he's being paid like much more than that (laughs) for Brooks I've never been a Brooks fan um he's a good defender obviously he did make all defense this year but and and he's been a contributor on a good Grizzlies team. But I'm not sure if he was really contributing or if they were winning in spite of him because he's a as low of a 
IQ basketball player as there is. He's a ball stopper, ball hog. He takes bad shots. He takes too many shots. And he would actually shoot Memphis out of games. So these are, um, if these are the guys that are going to be taking big shots for you down the stretch of important games, I don't think you're going to win very many games. Um, but And look, they owe their picks to OKC moving forward. So it's important that they're not too bad. Uh, so I, I like that they were at least trying to add players, but I think there was other impact guys they could have pursued instead. I mean, certainly on the Brooks side of things, like no one was offering him that much. His own team literally came out and said, under no circumstance will we have him back. So I don't really get it, but I think they'll be better than they were last year, probably um, replacing a low IQ player in Kevin Porter Jr. with another one in Dylan Brooks and stuff. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, they paid too much. That's that's basically what it comes down to. Some of the other overpays include Jeremy Grant, who signed a five-year, $160 million deal with a player option in the fifth year. I don't know what the Blazers are doing. I mean... Given that Dame is likely going to be gone, this deal doesn't make much sense to me. He's already 29. He's going to be 34 when the deal ends and making over $35 million. I don't think it's the most tradable deal. Um, if you think they're going to trade him, it needs to be earlier in the deal, in my opinion. Because I think two to three years from now, this could look kind of ugly. Uh, I know he had a pretty good year last year. It was 20.5 points per game on 48% from the field, 40% from three. Uh, so he shot the ball really well, but he has not been a very good defender since leaving Denver, especially last year. He had 120 defensive rating. That's really bad. He was efficient last year, but he's not been at all the years before that. I mean, he was 42.8% from the field when he played in Detroit, 35% from three, which is basically a slightly below league average. His true shooting percentage was 55.6, which is well below league average, which I believe the league average last year was 58%. Um, he had 109 offensive rating both years, which is well below league average. And he's one of the worst playmakers in the league for uh, the volume at which he has the ball in his hands. He never averaged three assists per game even one time. He's a career one-and-a-half assist point per game player. He can totally disappear in games at times. Um, I just feel like you're never surprised when you're like, oh, Grant had eight points tonight. <laughs> and look, at his best, 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 I think he's at number three on a on a really good team. I think his best case would be like an Aaron Gordon, Andrew Wiggins type role, which is kind of what he was on Denver um, back when he was on the team in the bubble. But he wanted the expanded role, and he got it, and guess what? Is hasn't been on an even decent team since then. <laughs> And I get that once Dame is gone, Blazers won't have like a ton of bad contracts or big deals or anything. So it's not a death sentence per se, but I just don't think it's the flexibility you'd want. Uh, feels like they did this just so they could retain the asset, which I get. I think losing assets for nothing is never a good idea for the most part. And so it's fine if they can capitalize on his value while it's decently high. Uh, but the, the contract number, I think, cripples the value a little bit. And if a team gets desperate in the next year or two, I think they pull the trigger ASAP. There's no like holding on to this because you're going to end up in a scenario three years from now where he's, what, 32 and making $32 million And the contract it could easily turn into one of those where it's like you got to attach an asset just to get rid of it. So I'd say you, you trade him as soon as you can. 
and then sure I'll I'll say it's a fine signing but for right now I just the number felt really high to me um and so I I just don't love the seal <laughs> next we have Bruce Brown another overpay so two years 45 million dollars for him the second year is a team option but this is a classic case on just how my opinion can drastically change on a guy depending on the role and the salary I like Bruce Brown as a player. I really do. As a cheap sixth man, I love him, actually. He does all the little things. He's a great defender. He's a versatile player. Uh, can be a ball handler or he can play off the ball. He was a backup point guard for the Nuggets. And meanwhile, we saw him play small ball five with the Nets. So he's super versatile. Um, he's been solid from three the past few seasons, 37% the past two years. He's a very good rebounder for his size. And I think he's a winning player. But... As an expensive starter, I hate him. <laughs> um, he's not a real shot creator for himself, really. We haven't seen him be a guy that can go get a bucket consistently. He's still only 34% from three for his career, so he's been better recently, but still not been phenomenal overall. I'm not convinced that uh, we've seen the best version of him with Jokic and that he won't be able to replicate that elsewhere when he's not playing with a guy like that, though I do think Halliburton is a good um, as good of a second choice after Jokic as a playmaker that you could have. And this deal is an awful overall just because it's a team option the second year. So if he's bad, they can just decline the offer or they could try to trade him as an expiring. Or if he's good, they can keep him um, and have the same scenario next year that they have with him this year. And plus, he'll probably help them win if they're, if they're good. I do think he's a good fit with Halliburton just because he's good defensively and doesn't need the ball. but. Yeah, I just thought it I, I was shocked when I saw that number. I mean, I thought he was gonna get close to like the mid level exception number at like twelve million people had talked about. I think Denver could only offer him like six million. So I mean they weren't even close on this number. He's making twenty two mil next year and twenty three the next year if, if the team option is picked up. So I I was shocked. <laughs> but but the I think the short term makes it not awful. If it was like a five year, four year deal at this, then I mean, that's almost like a max deal, which is crazy. But it'll be a fine pickup for them, I'm sure. Um, I, as I said, I like Bruce Brown. I just don't know if he's fit for an expanded role. Up next, we've got Max Struess, who signed with the Cavaliers for four years and $63 million. Um, I like Struess overall as a player, but that number just felt a little high to me. I think that his perceived role is a three-point specialist, but if you take out his 2022 season where he shot 41%, he's career 34.7% from three outside of that one year. And also, he's career 32.5% from three in the playoffs and 38.7% from the field overall in the playoffs. And that's on a big sample size. He played 43 games, and that's sub-40 from the field and sub-33% from three in that playoff sample. So I'm not yet positive that he didn't just have one hot regular season and that he's an average to below-average three-point shooter in general. Uh, he's also an average defender at best. He's not a ball handler, not really a playmaker. So I – and look, I could be wrong. He might come out and shoot 40 percent from three next year look great next to Garland and Mitchell and I'll happily just be wrong I think it could be worth it but I just I'm not sure yet this is kind of a prove it season 
for me, for him, just because I want to see, like, if he comes out and shoots 39, 40%, I'll be like, yeah, okay, he's a good three-point shooter and he's had some cold streaks, whatever. But I'll probably do the reverse. If he comes out and shoots 34%, I'll be like, yeah, he's not very good at threes, actually. He just had that one good year. So I'm interested to see how he plays, but I think it'll be very results-based for my opinion on this deal because he's making above $15, $16 million per year on this, which just feels a little high for a guy that I'm not even sure he's – good at the thing we all think he's good at. Um, then moving to Joe Ingles, who signed with the Magic, two years, $22 million. Um, I was very surprised by this one, too. He's 36 years old now. Um, he's going to be making around $11 million each year, and he just looked really washed last year. I don't know. He didn't shoot nearly as well as he had in the past. He was not the same defensively. defensively. He was a pretty good defensive player with Utah. Just total liability last year with Milwaukee. And I really liked Orlando as a team that could take a leap next year, but I have not liked their offseason very much. I didn't like their draft at all. Um, If they were going to use this kind of cap space, I would have much preferred it on something else. Um, They have a lot of guards, but I don't think I trust any of them still. I mean, Anthony Black will be a rookie and he can't shoot. Fultz can't shoot. Cole Anthony thinks he can shoot, but he's not that good of a shooter, and he's not good at anything else, really. And then uh, Jalen Suggs just has not played very well, and he can't really shoot either. So they've got no shooting (laughs) from the guard position. Um, And they don't have a ton of wings. And Ingles, I I don't know if he's the answer. They're still a bad shooting team. They're still not dynamic offensively. I think they're going to struggle on that end, and I just think that Ingles... Look, if they get Ingles for the minimum or something, I love it. Totally fine. Add the veteran guy. But if they were going to use that kind of cap space, I just wish that they had used it on someone who is a little younger and can offer a little more. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm still going to be high on Orlando this year. I I, I really wanted to because I love Paolo and I like Franz. But we'll see. (laughs) Didn't like this pickup. And then one last deal here that I do want to call out was Cam Johnson. I thought it was going to be an overpay based on the reported four-year $108 million deal that was said initially. But since then, news has came out that uh, a lot of that is bonuses. So the base for the deal is actually four years, $90 million. Um, And he's got, over the four years, $13.6 million in bonuses that are deemed unlikely bonuses and 4.4 in likely bonuses. So it's most likely to be like a four-year $94 million deal, uh, which I think is totally fine. Um, I assume also if the unlikely bonuses hit, then I think that they're okay with it because it's probably something like made all NBA or something like that. So, And if he's doing that, then I think they're cool with paying him the extra, obviously. But I love Cam. He's an elite shooter, great team defender. He's got size, very good basketball IQ, winning type player. Um, and the kind of wing that everybody wants. So I thought 108 was high, but 90 seems totally fine. So um, I'm, I don't think this is an overpay. I think it's fair market value. And I really thought they need to keep him um, just because he's probably their second best player after Mikael Bridges maybe or Claxton. I don't know. But uh, yeah. I like him, and the deal's totally fine given the the bonus information. Moving away from the overpays, um, I'm going to talk about two teams that 
didn't have a lot of flexibility to add, but just talk about some of the minor moves they made. I'm going to start off with the Lakers. So they signed Gabe Vincent, Toreen Prince, Cam Reddish, and Jackson Hayes, and they also retained D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, and Rui Hachimura. In turn, they lost Dennis Schroeder, Mo Bamba, Malik Beasley, and Troy Brown. And I feel like there's been a lot of discourse about the Lakers' offseason so far. And look, I don't think the Lakers are any worse than they were last year. Um, But I also don't really think they're any better from what they were last year. The Reeves deal was phenomenal. I mean, the fact that they were able to get him for so cheap was a huge win. There was rumors that teams might be offering him close to 90 to $100 million or so. But I think ultimately other teams knew the Lakers are probably going to match. They didn't want to hold up their cap sheet just to like force their hand or anything like that. So that's probably why teams didn't bid on him. But the number they were able to get him at, I believe it was like $54 million or something like that over four years. Uh, just great, big win for them to get him. But um, the Russell and the Rui deals are okay. Uh, I thought Ruiz was a little high. He's like $17 million a year or so, which is just a little above his pay grade in my opinion. I mean, he was good for them in the playoffs last year, but he's just not been a very good NBA player to this point. He's not a great shooter. He's not a great defender. He kind of lives in the mid-range, but he's not like elite there. He can score a little. He's got some size and length, but he's a fine player. I, I don't I don't hate him, but I, I just thought the number was high. And then the Russell deal... I thought that was fine. Um, I thought if he was in the twenty twenty five million dollar range, it would be kind of a lot. But he was at two years, thirty seven million, I believe, which is totally palatable. I would say it's a tradable contract. It's short term, only two years, so it's not it's not gonna kill them. Um, and ultimately, I thought bringing him back was fine. I mean, uh, if they could upgrade from him, I thought it would be a good idea to do so. But if they weren't able to do that, then I I think losing him would have been a loss just in terms of like uh, they just don't have a ton of other offensive shot creation outside of um, LeBron AD and Austin Reeves. But the rest of their uh, additions to me were getting a lot of praise and I don't really know why. I mean, Gabe Vincent is basically a one for one swap of Schroeder. Um, Some people might prefer Vincent, but he's been pretty overrated compared to what people actually think he is. I mean, his career shooting splits, he's below 40% from the field for his career. He's below 34% from three for his career. I mean, just last season, he shot 40% from the field, 33% from three. And (laughs) there's even this idea that he's been so good in the playoffs though. But if you look at his playoff stats, he shot below 40% combined in the last two playoffs and only 35% from three. So he's been an average to slightly below average three-point shooter and a super inefficient player from the field overall. So, I mean, Schroeder's somewhat similar. I mean, he's a little more efficient than that, but he's a worse shooter. Um, they're both fine defensively. They try hard at least. Uh, so to me, that's just basically a, a wash with Schroeder and Vincent. And then I kind of feel the same way about Mo Bamba and Jackson Hayes. I mean, they're both young and talented, but both have – uh, not really proven that they can be rotation players on good teams. Uh, I mean, Jackson Hayes couldn't get minutes on a team with not very many other good big men, and it's not like the Pelicans have been the healthiest group out there. I mean, without Zion, it's like who else is getting minutes in that front court? But he still hasn't been able to get consistent minutes. I'm not even sure what he's supposed to be good at. He, he can't really shoot. He's not a phenomenal defender. He's a little out of control on offense sometimes. 
And then Cam Reddish is just not a good basketball player. I mean, how many times does this guy have to go to a new team before we realize that it's probably not the team's, like, at, at fault that he's not playing? He's probably not playing because he's not very good. <laughs> um, and then Prince. I like Tareem Prince, but he's not a needle mover. He's kind of just a microwave scorer. He's not a great shooter, not a great defender. So there are question marks to me about whether he can be a consistent playoff rotation guy. I think he can in certain series, but I could see him not being super effective as well. And I don't say all this to say I hated the Lakers moves. I just, I saw people crowning them as like the biggest offseason winners in the league and giving them like an A plus for their offseason. And look, if I think the Reeves deal deserves an A plus, for example, but what else did they do? I mean, they added, <laughs> they lost four guys, added four guys. And to me, they're all like, Malik Beasley and Cam Reddish, are they materially different? I'd probably prefer Beasley. Are Bamba and Jackson Hayes materially different? I'd argue no. I actually prefer Bamba's upside as well. <laughs> Schroeder and Vincent, they're not materially different either. Tareem Prince and Troy Brown. Prince is probably an upgrade over Brown, I'd say, but Brown is better at things that you want from role players like defense and shooting, but Prince is a little better scorer. So overall, it's not majorly different. And then they just brought everybody else back with D'Lo, Reeves, and Hachimura. So to act like they had some phenomenal offseason, um, I don't know. I, I just view them the same. I mean, I thought last year they were fringe contenders in the West. I think they're fringe contenders in the West this year. I think they're still very dependent on their two stars to be healthy. And I think they have a okay mix of role players that they can mix and match based on matchups. So um, the idea that they had some home run offseason, I just don't really see it. I don't really get that. Um, but – all that to say, I, I think their offseason was fine. I mean, they, they didn't get worse. Did they get better? Maybe. I don't know. Probably about the same. But I just – the narrative was kind of weird to me, so I just want to call that out. On the other side, another West contender um, is the Phoenix Suns, and they had only minimum deals to hand guys. And they did the most with it. They added Eric Gordon, Keita Bates-Diop, Yuta Watanabe, Drew Eubanks. They also retained Josh Akogi, Damian Lee, and they lost Jock Landell and Tory Craig. Uh, I thought they did a really good job with what they had. So they, I mean, I just talked about the Lakers. They had a lot more flexibility just in terms of like they had actual money they could hand some guys. The Suns did not. They were <laughs> working with just the minimum, not a ton to offer guys otherwise. Um, I mean, they gave a lot of these guys two-year deals, which I think most people were only offering them one. So I think that was something that um, helped them because they were able to give player options to players. But they easily could have added a bunch of old past-the-prime guys. I mean, we see that a lot with these teams that are trying to add cheap guys around star players when they don't have flexibility, and they normally end up getting that, like like the Kevin Love types, for example. Um but crazy enough, they actually only have two players in the entire roster that are older than 30 in Durant and Eric Gordon, despite a lot of people thinking, oh, this is like an older team. Other than Durant and Gordon, everybody's 30 or younger, uh, <laughs> which is pretty crazy to think about. Everybody they signed was in the 26 to 28 range other than uh, Gordon for the most part, at least. But they clearly emphasize length and shooting. Um, Watanabe, Bates-Diop, uh, Akogi. Uh, Damian Lee, all guys with big wingspans relative to their size. And then from a shooting perspective, I mean, Gordon, 
and uh, Watanabe are phenomenal shooters. Damian Lee was one of the best shooters in the whole NBA last season percentage-wise. And I think the Gordon and Watanabe lineups are going to be really hard to guard. I think that's not going to be their best defensive lineups, obviously. But when you've got Booker, Beal, Durant, Ayton, and then one of those two guys in, I mean, you put either of those guys in the corner, they're going to shoot 40%. And you're not going to be able to help off them like they had last year playing guys like Torrey Craig and Josh Okoge, um, and even like TJ Warren, to be honest. It's going to be impossible to guard this team uh, when they've got those lineups out there. Of course, there's obviously defensive questions, um, but at least they've got options. They've got a lot of different types of players. I mean, Drew Eubanks even is a huge upgrade from a finishing and rim protection standpoint at the backup five than they had last year. Um, Lando played really hard, but he just – and he shot from three a little, but he didn't shoot high percentage, and he's not really a rim protector. Biombo is a good rim protector, but he's so bad – finishing on offense that it was just difficult to watch at times but Eubanks is a good balance of both he's probably not as good of a rim protector as Biombo but still a very good one and he's a much better finisher than Biombo is and probably a better finisher than even Landell is so I think the player most likely to start for them is either a Kogi or Bates Diop just based on they're going to probably want a defender out there and I would lean Bates Diop, um, but obviously that's going to depend on who plays well in training camp and preseason. We haven't really seen Bates Diop in a winning situation before, so there's definitely unknowns with him. I think he gives better upside just given his size and length, and he actually shot 40% from three last year, and we know Kogi's not a phenomenal shooter. So on paper, Bates Diop would be a very good option. But again, we haven't really seen him in high-pressure situations, so would I be totally shocked if he – isn't making shots and is average on defense and suddenly in the playoff series, he's not super effective. No, not at all. But would I be surprised if he even just had a respectable three point percentage and was really good defensively guarding the other team's best wing players? No, I also wouldn't be surprised, but I, we obviously don't know cause we haven't really seen it from him before. So, um, they still got some options moving forward too. They did get, uh, they made another trade where they got three second round picks for two pick swaps on pick, picks they already had swaps out which is funny i've never seen a double swap but i think this was a good move i mean good reward low risk i mean sure they could drop back a few spots in the draft but it's not going to be marginal i mean if they're even comparably good to memphis then that's going to be what matters (laughs) if they're better than them it won't even come to fruition but if they're like three slots worse in the standings which i don't personally think will happen We'll have to see how the rosters finish out. But with Jaw out, I would imagine they take a bit of a step back. So I would imagine the Suns will be better. Um, but even if they weren't, it probably wouldn't be majorly different. They'll both be playoff teams regardless. Um, so I don't think it'll even matter. Maybe the 2030 swap they gave will. But at that point, who knows? They're trying to win now, and it's worth the risk, in my opinion, to get some more assets. They've also got Cameron Payne's contract, which is movable, about $6 million dollars. Um, and then obviously they can always deal Aiden as well. I think they're probably not going to make any more big moves, but they've got about close to $40 million in salary they can send out with three second-round picks, Um, one of those salaries being a 24-year-old super talented center who averages 17 to 10 and has shown defensive flashes. So they have options if they want to do stuff, um, which is good because before they had literally none, so... Uh, they also have a traded player exception, so they can acquire someone for about $5 million or less without sending any players out, which is valuable, and that expires at February, I believe. But a lot of teams have been shedding salaries, so they're an option to take someone on if they did want to do that. 
Uh, but overall, like the Suns' moves, um, I had low expectations uh, when it said they were working out Jabari Parker and Stanley Johnson. It wasn't looking too good for who they'd be able to get around this team. But I think they got some really nice uh, role players to surround them, and especially the Eric Gordon one was a huge win because I know he definitely had more money available, and he is not a minimum type player in my opinion I still think he's a really really good offensive role player um, he can get to the basket he's still a very very good shooter um, and at least he is physical and tries hard on defense he's he's a, lost a step a bit there but um, he's not some massive liability I would say but good job from uh, their front office overall and then just talking about the guys that are left, there's not a ton out there. There's two restricted free agents that I think are still very solid players that have not been signed. The first one is P.J. Washington. Saw a report that he might actually accept his qualifying offer, play this year, and then become an unrestricted free agent next year. Um, I know restricted free agents usually take a little bit longer because when you sign one, it ties up the cap space for your team until the offer sheet is either matched or not. So it, it limits your flexibility until it's finalized. But I'm surprised we haven't heard more buzz about him with teams. I actually really like PJ Washington. I think he's a really good floor spacer. Um, he can play small ball five, or he can play next to another big very easily. Um, he plays bigger than he is. He's a pretty good shot creator for himself, given his position. Uh, he's totally passable defensively. We've seen him pop off for some huge games, actually like 40 point plus. Um, but I love him as a, a stretch four. Um, I, I think he fits with almost any team should want him, but I, I have no idea what his market is from a value perspective. It's one of those where like, I'm sure teams don't want to massively overpay him, but if they don't massively overpay him, they probably don't have much of a shot of getting him, which is kind of how restricted free agency works most of the time. So we'll see. I would predict he's just back with the Hornets, whether they end up coming to an agreement on a long-term deal or if he just accepts the qualifying offer. Either way, I think he'll be back. Um, the other one is Ayo Desumu. I'm really surprised he hasn't signed anywhere. Um, he was a late first-round pick, uh, early second-round, that range. Uh, and he significantly outplayed his draft position so far. I mean, I think any team would want a guy like him. He's a guard that can handle the ball or he can play off the ball. He's a very good defender. He plays super hard. He's a really good cutter. Um, he can get his own shot a little bit. He has shot the ball from outside better than I would have anticipated coming out of college because he wasn't a particularly good shooter in college. But he's been very respectable from three-point range. Um, and he does kind of remind me of a little Bruce Brown type player. Um, I think he could have the same impact that Brown could have on a contender. And I thought he would be a lock to return to the Bulls, but it was a little weird to me that they signed Javon Carter. They gave him a decent amount of money, too. They also still have Alex Caruso. There's still room for him to come back, given that Lonzo is basically, I, I mean, he might never play again. But but it just feels like a crowded backcourt of a lot of very similar players. I mean, Desumu, Caruso, and Carter are all guys that can do a little bit on offense, but they're all defensive-minded players. I don't really know what that rotation would look like. They also brought back Kobe White. So they've got like four guards that are all kind of like similar caliber. So it's just a little like the, the Carter signing is was just weird to me, given that they already have Kobe White and Caruso. And then you'd think they're going to bring Desumu back. But ultimately, I assume he's still back with the Bulls because I just don't think he's going to get a big enough offer that they wouldn't match. Because why wouldn't they? I mean, he it's not like he's going to get. 10 15 million I, I would imagine he'll probably get in the 5 to 10 range so we'll see I don't know I would love 
him on any team, really. I think he's a, a great uh, guard off the bench for a, a team, and I think he could play really well in a role as a role player with like some star players around him as well. And then on the unrestricted side, we've got Christian Wood. Seems like he's probably just going to get a minimum deal. I don't think his market is very hot right now. <laughs> I've seen a lot of talk about him on the Lakers, so I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I think a lot of other contenders probably would be smart to consider him. He's not good defensively, but he is good offensively. Genuinely, he's a good offensive player. He can shoot from outside. He can get his own shot. He's a really good finisher, great in the pick and roll. So I, I'm i sure he'll sign soon. I, I'm sure he'll do one of those like minimum prove-it deals, and then hopefully he can get paid next summer. Um, and then Kelly Oubre is probably the only other – Somewhat noteworthy one, I'd say. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on a minimum as well, too, though. But he did average over 20 points per game last year. So from his perspective, I understand that he's trying to get more. But I just don't know what cap space is still out there for him. There's just not a lot. And he's not exactly the kind of guy that fits in easily on teams. Like, he – I don't know. He's, like, kind of a lower IQ player. So, like, you don't love having him on your team if you're a bad team. But it's hard for him to fit in on good teams. We saw him in the Warriors, and it was just a really bad fit because he's not a phenomenal shooter. He's not a great defender. Um, and I don't know. Just makes boneheaded plays at times. So, we will see where he ends up. I predict he might get close to the minimum as well. I don't know if he'll go more for a contender or a bad team where he can get stats. But neither has worked particularly well for him thus far and that's going to do it for this episode of the sean jones nba show thank you so much for listening i'm going to be on vacation for the next few weeks so it might be a couple weeks before i can record again but i don't anticipate a ton happening over the next few weeks i'm sure either harden or dame or both could be traded Um, but we've got a long runway for the until the season starts so even if I'm a little delayed on that it's not going to be a huge deal just in terms of uh, I'm not going to miss them playing games for example (laughs) Um, but I'll probably do some other fun off-season type podcasts um, where I'll reflect on some um, stuff from the past season but we'll see Um, but thanks so much for listening guys I'm looking forward to some of these trades going down over the next few weeks but with that I will talk with you later thanks Thank you.